Well, morning, friends, if you will, grab a seat and grab your Bibles. I'm so glad to see you this morning. Welcome. Hey, are you doing okay this morning, church? Mike, good to see you, buddy. Anyone else doing okay today? Good, good. Bruce, welcome. Glad to see you all. And what a good day. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. If you're a guest, welcome to our family get together. We're so glad to celebrate Jesus here. Hey, grab your Bibles. We're jumping into part four of Summer in the Psalms. We've been going through the Psalms today. If you're doing the daily reading, today was Psalm 58. We have some daily reading guides you can go on. Just hop on our uh, website. We can send you a link if you need. But uh, Psalm 58 today in our daily reading. But in the text, we're going to be in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you don't know where Psalm is, just open your Bible like right in the middle. And you'll probably be in the Psalms, Psalm 42. And what I love about this Psalm, it's a familiar one, but it talks about something we often miss from within the Psalm. We're going to talk about despair And we're going to talk about what to do when we can't see God anymore. Because if you haven't been there, friend, just wait a few more weeks, months, or years. You'll experience those moments of despair. And they come crashing in like waves, as the text is going to show us in a moment. But within these beautiful words, I believe the truth of God speaks to us today and wants to show us a way through those moments. So I'm going to ask you all to stand with me as we read God's word. This is a tradition of the church throughout the centuries. And it's simply a way of saying... We stand in honor of that which is important, right? At a wedding, a bride comes down the aisle and you stand. Or if you're at a funeral, often when they bring in the casket, you'll stand. We stand in the presence of our King, Jesus, and his words. So now, hear the word of the Lord. From Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, it says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Is that familiar to anyone else? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? But these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the feasting throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the height of Hermon, from the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And if you will, say this last phrase together. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Our only hope is you, Jesus. We confess there are moments where the waves of pain and despair just roll over us. But in this text, we're given the promise 
But there is yet one greater. And if we'll simply turn our eyes to you, hope can be restored. Give us that vision today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Some of you will remember when you heard the news that Tuesday morning, December the 11th, 1990. You say, really? Yeah, really, because that was the morning that we had at the time the worst or biggest car crash uh, at that point in American history. It happened just northeast of here in Calhoun, Tennessee. Do you, any of you remember this? Some of you, I was talking to one of the guys earlier, and he said, man, when I heard about it, I went and I drove by just to see what happened. But about 9 a.m. on that Tuesday morning, one tractor semi-trailer coming towards Chattanooga slowed down. And there was a car going a little too fast behind him, didn't see him, and hit. And then another tractor trailer, didn't see that wreck, hit them. And then another car. And then a truck hit that car, and it sparked a flame. And then that flame spread, engulfing multiple vehicles. And just at this time, on the other uh, lane going away from town, one of the cars saw what was happening and slowed down to watch. Have you ever stopped to rubber neck at a wreck? Yeah. Well, someone behind him didn't see him, and so someone hits him. So now you have two lanes of traffic that are in a wreck. And then one after the other, after the other, after the other, within just a few minutes, 99 different cars were in this wreck. It was a massive, massive accident. Now, there's been a lot of speculation like what caused the wrecks. And there's a lot of factors that went into it, but everyone agrees that there was one three-letter word that caused this accident. And that three-letter word is fog. See, where it sits in this little stretch of highway, it's a low spot between a group of hills and there's a lot of water there. And so as a result, when the, when the air is just right, it creates steam and it creates fog that will cover that area. And it's like driving through pea soup. You're just not going to see where you're going. In fact, it's an amazing thing what happens with fog. And you think, man, fog is this big thing. How much water does it take to create all this fog? Well, your preacher did a little research this week. I looked it up, and according to the Washington Bureau standard, now let me just say, I'm not really all that trusting of any standard when it comes from Washington, but I think I can trust the Washington Bureau standard where it says, if you were to take seven city blocks and fill them 100 feet tall, full of fog. You want to know how much water it would take? Seven city blocks, 100 feet tall. You want to know how much water it would take to fill that up? About a 20-ounce bottle. Isn't it an amazing thing that something as small can create such devastation? I, I don't know what it's been like for you, but it's an amazing thing. Sometimes when I'm in a low point... Fog just rolls in, and it seems like something so massive, but something that is really quite small just creates this blanket of confusion, this blanket of uncertainty in my life, and my emotions begin to roll in, and then all of a sudden, this low thing, this low moment, it's taking up seven blocks of real estate, and the fog just comes in. 
And I love what the psalmist does here in this psalm, Psalm 42 and 43, because they're actually one psalm. We'll talk about that in a moment. In this little psalm, he gives us a picture and he shows us what do we do when you are in a low place. And he's going to share with us three things. I'm going to walk through these. If you want to take notes, he's going to say three things. When you're in a low place, number one, you need to name your feelings. Name your feelings. Gavin, go on up to that one. We need to name our feelings. And you say, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means to not simply say, I'm experiencing something, but to be specific in what you're experiencing. Now, I know when I say feelings, some of you get a little queasy in your stomach, right? Like you and feelings don't have a good relationship. And then when I say name your feeling, for some of us, we go, man, I don't know how to do that. And there's a reason why for many of us, we're not real sure how to name our feelings. Let me just give you four. Number one, a lot of us grew up in homes where it was not modeled real well. And so we don't know how to express it because we didn't experience it growing up. Like some of you are like, yeah, I think my dad had a feeling back in the seventies and that was it. And then for others, it's not because it wasn't modeled. Rather, for some of us, our feelings well, some feelings are associated with bad behavior. Like a buddy of mine, he was abused growing up. Whenever his dad got mad, my friend got hit. And so now he's afraid of ever experiencing or expressing certain emotions because he's afraid that an emotion means a particular behavior. And we all know that's not true, but isn't it true that our upbringing affects the way we view life and how we express things? And then for others of us in this room, it's not gonna be the modeling, it's not gonna be bad behavior, but some of us, we think that our feelings are who we are. If I feel it, that is who I am. And so for some of us, we feel these overwhelming senses of, you know, uh, well, I feel, I feel embarrassed. So now that's not what a man feels. So I'm not really a man. Do you see where I'm going with this? For some of us, it's, I, I feel lonely. Well, that's, that's, that's petty. You shouldn't feel lonely. Come on, buck up. So now what happens is some of us think this is how I feel. So this is who I am. And then a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, we were taught some bad doctrine. We were taught that depression or feeling blue is really just a result of you just not having enough faith. So now we don't express emotions or we at least don't acknowledge them because, man, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I just don't have enough faith. Some of us were taught, well, if you just have enough, pray, enough faith, if you just pray it away, if you just kind of feel, God, I trust you, then you will not be depressed. Friends, that is not in the Bible anywhere. And it is certainly not in this passage. In fact, consider this. Who created your emotions? Not a trick question. Who created your emotions? Do you know? Three-letter word, G-O-D. Every emotion on the spectrum of emotions was created by a God who knew the full experience of being human meant that you will go through moments and you have to have something to navigate that experience. So when you cut yourself off from certain emotions, you are cutting yourself off of part of what God has given you and part of what it means to be human. And so the psalmist gives us this beautiful vocabulary for, for the emotions, but also gives Josh and gives you permission to say and claim and name the emotions that we experience. In fact, let's just look at some of the emotions that he names. Notice what he says. He says, I feel certain things. And, and Gavin, if you'll go ahead and just put all three of these up, but, but notice this. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul longs for you. He's saying, I feel spiritually dry. Why? When we hear this, many of us have a picture of like a beautiful green rolling hills European painting, right? And you see some beautiful little deer coming over to a stream. You're like, oh, as the, stream, as the deer 
thirsts for water. Oh, that's so pretty. That's not the picture. The picture is of being out in the wilderness where there is no water and it has been days for this animal, so much so that the froth is starting to gather in the corner of the mouth. He's saying, that's how I feel. I am spiritually dry like an animal about to die from thirst. And then when he goes on, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. Man, that is vivid, creative imagery to say, I feel grief. Like the only thing I feel able to eat, you know, when you're sad, when you feel grief, isn't it true that sometimes your hunger goes away? He's like, the only thing I can chew on is my own tears. I'm in grief. And then he says, people say, where's your gods? Not only am I experiencing internal turmoil, but people are saying this. And now I'm insecure because now people are questioning, is God really there? Or is it because you just don't have enough faith? And so God's not showing up. And then he keeps going. Next slide. He says, I remember I used to go to the house of of God. Not the God, of God. Little typo there. He's showing longing. I want to go back to the place where I experience the closeness of God. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Verse 9. Well, so he feels abandoned. And then again in verse 9, he feels oppressed by the enemy. So he's attacked. So over and over and over, you hear him expressing with his mouth, naming what he's experiencing. And did you notice, it's not just one emotion, but he's feeling this vast roiling sense of, man, I feel this and this and this. I don't know how to parse it all out. But the first thing he does when he's in a low place is he begins to name it. Friends, we will never experience healing if we don't know what's wrong. How do you fix what's broken if you can't name the thing that is broken? I think one of the best tools that I've ever found for this is called an emotions wheel. Uh, Some of you may have seen these. You can find them online. I don't know if you can see it from where you sit, so I'll describe it for you. But basically, these internal sphere is anger, sadness, surprise, joy, love, fear. It's sort of the basic emotions, the things that when we talk, like, how are you feeling? Well, I feel happy. Well, that's like right here. Or I feel angry. Well, that's right here. But can we go a little deeper? Because sometimes that's not nuanced enough for what we're experiencing. So it spreads out. And so maybe, man, I feel sad. Well, no, I don't feel sad. I feel disappointed. Well, why? No, no, really, I just feel regret. Do you see how this can help expand the verbiage? Because what God wants you and I to do is to understand deeply what's going on. Because when you can name it, then you can identify what's going on. I was thinking about it this week. Um, My son, Stephen... He loves technology. I've shared this with you before. The kid's a lot smarter than me. He loves technology. And anything that has technology, he wants to have like the newest, the best, the greatest. Uh, you know anyone else like that? And so every time he gets into my car, he's like, Dad, you need a new car. I'm like, what are you talking about, boy? This is a modern classic. It's a 2002 Toyota Camry over a quarter of a million miles on it. Come on, this is a good, good thing. It has a cassette player in it. You can't even buy those anymore. He's like, I know, you need a new car. This week, because it's old, the, the little check engine light popped on. And, and I don't know about you, but when a check engine light pops on, the first thought is, oh no, what, what's this going to cost me? And then I almost like get mad at the check engine light because well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have to worry about this. Getting mad at the check engine light is like getting mad at your emotions. See, the light isn't the problem. It just tells you something's going on under the hood. Your emotions aren't a problem. They just tell you something's going on under the hood of your life. So the first thing as followers of Jesus is we must get very comfortable with saying, this is how I feel. Name the feeling. But here's the important thing. It is important to name it, but not be controlled by your feelings. 
Which is why he then goes on to say, don't just name it. It's now time to interrogate your feelings. Everyone say, interrogate. By the way, have you ever watched like Law and Order or one of these shows where you have the policemen come into the interrogation room? You got some punk sitting right there. He's looking all smug. And so you have the two cops. You have one cop who's like really nice and the other one who's really mean and they play good cop, bad cop. And they go at him to try to get him to confess, to try to get at the root of what's going on. That's what is going on here. He is now about to interrogate his emotions when he says in verse 5, why? Why, O soul, next slide, why, O soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? What is he doing? He's interrogating himself. In fact, my soul. He's not interrogating God saying, why are you doing this to me? He's not interrogating his spouse. Why are you being so mean? He's not interrogating his boss. Well, why are you a jerk? He's interrogating himself. Friends, this is huge. This is The thing that many of us never get to because we're so busy, when we come to the fog, you don't speed up, you slow down. Hurriedness is the enemy of the Christian soul. Because when you hurry, you run into the fog, unable to evaluate what is going on. But it's when the emotions start to billow around you, you name what you see, and then you say, now wait a minute, why do I feel what I'm feeling? And isn't it interesting that he doesn't ask the question once. In fact, he doesn't ask the question just twice either, friend. He doesn't ask it three times or four times. Rather, he asks himself the question, why, six times. You say, I only count two here. Well, he says it here. He'll say this exact same phrase in verse 11. And then he says it a third time in Psalm 43, verse 5. Because you see, Psalm 42 and 43 are one psalm. Some of the internal evidence shows this to us. Number one, the, the header of Psalm 42 tells us who it's by. 43 doesn't have a title to it. It's just one after the other. And then second, if you'll notice, the actual phraseology repeats itself because it's a song. It starts with a verse, then this chorus, then the verse, then the chorus, then final third verse, and then the final third chorus in chapter 43. What is he doing? He is saying, this is such a big deal. I have to ask myself over and over and over. Because isn't it true that sometimes the first time you ask, why it's not the real answer that you get (laughs) come on any of you know what I'm talking about so you go into your office and you're late and your boss chews you out so you're mad about it it's like if I just had a good boss everything would have been better well why are you upset well it's because of my boss well let's let's take another look at that one why was your boss upset well because I was late Why were you late? Well, because traffic was bad. Well, why was traffic an issue? Well, it's because I left a little later than I should have. Why did you leave later than you should have? Well, because I got up too late because I was tired. Why were you tired? Because I stayed up to 1.30 a.m. watching Netflix. Aha, and there's the problem. Do you see what's going on? He evaluates what's going on and interrogates it. This is how I feel, but now I interrogate it. Why, my soul, do you feel the way you feel? See, part of what it means to come out of the fog is to name it, then interrogate it, because you cannot get out of the problem if you cannot name it and then understand what the core issue is to the problem. But here's the thing. I think a lot of us like to stop right here. It's like, all right, I know the problem. Great. It should be fixed, right? How many of us know that if you're in debt, knowing that you're in debt is the first step, but not the last step? 
How many of us know if your marriage isn't what you want it to be, knowing your marriage isn't what you want it to be isn't the last step. That's a great step, but now let's do something about it. Do we understand? It's more than just identifying and interrogating. It is now time to do the third thing. And this is the one that I want you to hear. Just lean in, please, because this is the game changer. He names his emotion, he interrogates it, and then he gospels his emotion. He gospels it. And I know that's a weird phrase, so let me explain it. The word gospel is one of those $10 church words that we all hear, right? Like righteous, justification, sanctification, and gospel. And we all say, oh, I know what that means. And inside we're going, nope. Gospel simply means news that brings joy. News that brings joy. And I know because it's a word we hear in church and nowhere else, we think it must be a church word. But did you know that the word gospel precedes the church? In fact, it came before Jesus. One of the very first uses, and some say the first use, actually came from ancient Greece. There was a great struggle happening between the Greeks and the Persians. The Persians had come in, they had taken over and enslaved the Greeks. But the Greeks, they rose up. Sparta, and they go against the Persians and they have some great battles and two victories, one of which was in the city of Marathon. And as a result of their victory, they threw off the Persian oppression and they sent out heralds, also known as evangelists, to all the surrounding cities of Greece saying, we have won a great battle for you. We have won the war You are free. You're no longer a slave. They sent out the gospel is what they called it. A few centuries later, this man steps onto the scene who then we realize is not just a man. He is God in a bod, Jesus Christ. And he takes this word describing a great victory over a great enemy. And he says, I want to share with you the gospel. I will die for you so you do not have to die. There will be one who has a great battle against Satan, the arch enemy of God, of death, the great enemy of humans and of sin, that thing that so easily entangles and he will take on the three great enemies that you and I have failed and fallen to every time. And he will fight and he will die for us, but he will then live for us. And then he proclaims the good news. You are free. I have won the great battle for you. And did you know we actually see that in this text? Verse six, look at what it says, verse 5b and then six. He goes on, he says, to himself, put your hope in God. Why? He goes on, I will praise him, my savior. Go to the next slide. I will praise him. And then he says, my savior, we'll come back to that. And he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. What is he doing? It is impossible to change your emotions directly, but you absolutely can change them by leading your thoughts and your actions. I will remember and I will praise him. He is saying, I'm going to remember the good news. My hope It's not in circumstance. My hope is not in my spouse. My hope is not in my boss or my kids or the economy or the government. My hope is in God. And then he uses that little word again that we saw a couple weeks ago, Savior. Let me just remind you that Hebrew word is Yeshua and the Greek of that is Jesus. I'll put my hope in who, church? Jesus. 
I'll put my hope in what he has done. See, when I'm in the fog, when I'm going through those low points, which you will, someone will die, a spouse will leave, a kid will disobey, a job will be lost, your body will break down, you will go through those moments. And in the fog of the moment, we have the privilege of naming what we're feeling, saying, this is what's going on, interrogating it, but then choosing the gospel. I will hope in Jesus Christ And then he goes on to say this thing, I will remember you. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. And if you go to Philippians, he's going to tell us to think on certain things that draw our hearts closer to Jesus. But I want to give you caution. Very important. Ready? Caution. It's not a one-time deal that you name it, interrogate it, and gospel it. Isn't it true that over and over again, we have to go back through this cycle? I don't have it on the screen for you, but if you look at your Testament, look at what it says here in verse six, he's going to say, my soul is downcast within me. So he's naming it. But then the second half of that verse, he then says, therefore, I will remember you. So I will gospel myself. And then in seven, he says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's naming his feelings. But then verse eight, He goes, by day the Lord directs his love. He gospels himself. Verse 9 and 10, why have you forsaken me? My bones suffer mortal agony. He's naming it. And then in verse 11, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. It's an over and over again. I name it, interrogate it, and gospel myself. Name it, interrogate it, and gospel myself. Which leads to a very important question this morning. Do you know the gospel? Uh, Friend, uh, this isn't a rhetorical question. If you and I were to sit down, I would just ask you, do you personally know the gospel? And I don't mean, can you recite it? I mean, do you know that it is true? Do, Do you know that you're a sinner headed for hell, but for the grace of God? Do you know that? Have you ever named that? Many of us have been baptized and yet do not believe we're sinners. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know the hope that there's a God who loves you? The good news that there's a God who died for you. Do you know that? Not humanity, but you personally. Do you know that? Do you know that there is now no condemnation, that you will not go to hell for your sin, that you will go to heaven and be with the Lord forever and ever, period? Do, Do you know that? Do do you know that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ? Let me explain the good news to you for a moment here. When your daddy writes in his will what you're going to get, he says, well, I'm going to leave this for you. I'm going to leave this for your sibling. I'm going to leave this for so-and-so, right? That is at the end. And so when your daddy dies, you get his stuff. Some of you are going, come on, daddy. Do you understand when God was making his will, he put Jesus's name at the top and said, I give Jesus everything. And then next to Jesus's name, he put your name. You get what Jesus gets. That's what it means to be a co-heir with Jesus Christ. What does Jesus get? He gets position. He gets a place in heaven. He gets hope. He gets a family. He gets eternal joy. Do you want that, my friends? Well, one of you does. This is the gospel. Do you know the gospel? Have you experienced the gospel? And for some of you, the answer is a resounding yes and amen. But for some in this room, the answer is no. 
Because you come to church and you think coming to church is the same thing as knowing the gospel. And friends, I love you too much to lie. That's not the gospel. Coming to church is not the gospel. Having a Bible is not the gospel. Even saying a periodic prayer is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus loves you and your hope is secure with him forever. So when you are in the low places, it hurts God. I'm sad. Where are you? Wait, wait, wait. But I will yet praise you for I see the cross. I know what he did and he did it for me. And this is not the end. The end is with him in glory. I will gospel myself. Do you know the gospel? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you put him on in baptism? If you have not, you do not have hope. But if you have brothers and sisters that celebrate the goodness of God in this morning and in this moment. And if you haven't, I'm going to be around all morning. We'll stick around as long as you want. We will talk about this. We will baptize you, introduce you to Jesus Christ, the hope of humanity. And although the deer was panting for streams of water, your introduction will be in a body of water where you go under and the old person is gone and a new one is here and the joy of the Lord can be yours forever. Do you know the gospel? If you don't, as we sing this song, I'm going to be in the lobby. Come find me. We'll pray together. We'll talk and we will baptize you today. We'll introduce you to the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. But don't leave this place without naming the problem, interrogating the issue and gospeling yourself. Let's pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you that you are in this place. And it's not like some magic trick where we have to conjure you up through our prayer or our song. You are here before we arrived, which means that in this moment, wherever else we go, you're already there. So when we walk through those low points, as the psalmist puts, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear evil because you're with us. May the truth of the gospel permeate this church and may it go out with us. And for anyone in this room who is not yet yours, I pray that you would speak to them in such a profound way that they would say yes to you, putting you on in baptism, that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be their good news for life in this life and for the one to come. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.